Hi, I'm Mike Hatton, and for over 20 years, I've been in a management role that saw me working with other managers from entry level up to and including the C-suite. The experience gained have positioned me to help many other leaders manage the stresses of not having enough time at work, not having enough family time, neglecting their health, and many other challenges magnified by the recent pandemic. I founded Human Cornerstone Facilitations, LLC in 2008. It was based on the need to help managers improve their productivity and that of their team. I would like to show you the roadmap to becoming a great leader by harnessing your team's strengths. Welcome to my show, Cornerstone, where the foundations of leadership begin. Welcome to my show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mike Hatton, and my show is called Cornerstone. I have a very interesting guest today. He's an innovation leader in the field of IT and many other fields also. He's the person who can boil all this down and make it sound like we're talking about sports in a casual way or something like that. Uh, Aldo Mancini is with me today. He's an innovation and transformation leader who has helped organizations make a smoother transmission transition to the cloud. Uh, he has a degree in computer science and mathematics. He has a master's from the Kellogg School of Business in uh, Business Administration. He has been in many leadership roles at American Express, Discover Card, uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, he's been a chief information officer, a chief technology officer, a chief data officer, and a principal consultant. He has a broad spectrum of knowledge and skills related to leadership and bringing organizations uh, into the cloud, helping them innovate on the cloud. And he has now formed his own business. He is the CEO of Silver Lining Experts. And uh, he has 40 years of experience and he's now applying that to Silver Lining. So uh, please help me and welcome Aldo Mancini. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Mike, and thank you so much for having me. You know, listening to to you introduce me that way, it's uh, it just brings me back to when I first came to the United States as a as a very young fifteen year old. You know, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture. You know, full of fear, full of anxiety, but but truly believing in what my parents thought would be the hopes for a better future and you know and going through the ups and downs of uh, high school college business world and just getting a real understanding of how we can actually make a contribution to society through technology uh, so thank you so much for having me oh you're very welcome so uh, speaking to your point of coming to the United States at 15 I know that must have been an interesting journey can you uh, Describe uh, a couple of points, maybe transformational moments, maybe what a challenge it was coming here, uh, you know, not having English as a first language, and, uh, uh, maybe not even speaking much English at the time. There, there are so many. Actually, English was zero. Uh, and my parents, I think they did one of the best things they did the very first summer we were here. Uh, they sent us to a summer camp in Massachusetts where no one spoke English. So we had to learn by hook or by crook. Uh, but we learn nonetheless. Uh, and in the high school, what was even more interesting is I was paired with a bilingual student in my age group uh, whom every day after school would spend an hour or two with me making sure that I understood uh, what was to be done for homework uh, that evening and, and to be turned in for the next day. Uh, 
And I remember even three years later, as a senior in high school, we were reading Oliver Twist. Uh, and I couldn't understand a word I was reading because it was all in slang. Uh, and then when people would have a, the opportunity to read a passage out loud, I couldn't even make heads or tails of what was being said uh, or what was written. But when other students would actually speak in that slang, I could actually follow it a little bit. Uh, but it was one of the biggest challenges that I, that I had in, uh, in coming over to, uh, to the United States. That is, uh, that, that's an amazing story. It's a similar story I've, I've heard before, but uh, it, it, it always fascinates me having lived in two different countries where I didn't speak the language and had to learn. Uh, I, I know what a challenge that is. Uh, so as we talked about off camera, some different things, uh, <laughs> yes. you wanted to be in the medical field. I was. So in Colombia, uh, going through high school, they, uh, they really expose you to, to the medical field early on. So in eighth grade, you're doing biology, but you're actually doing with, you're looking at the human body, an actual remains of a body. So my passion has always been cardiology. So if you look at any paper as I was growing up, it was on the heart. And, and that was an absolute passion for me growing up. And then when I came to the United States, as I, uh, in the passion continued, uh, in my senior year in high school, again, I took a computer science course. And that just discovered a whole new passion. Uh, and what was amazing to me when I started learning a little bit about uh, great teachers, bad teachers, I had an amazing computer science teacher and I had a really horrible physiology teacher. And then my passion just continued to grow where I decided, when I started the university, you know, I picked a career in computer science instead of medicine. That's uh, another amazing, there's a, uh, the big takeaway for me in that is that I always credit my early teachers. Uh, I had a really good uh, uh, foundation with great teachers in, in high school and people that inspired me. Uh, speaking of inspiration, is there anyone uh, that you would like to mention, like a person you can point to that say was a pivotal, uh, just a pivotal moment for you that really inspired you to become what you've become? In my career, I have numerous teachers and leaders that have helped shape my leadership style. So I've had good teachers, bad teachers. I've had great leaders and some horrible leaders. Uh, and, but nonetheless, it has always been with a learning point of view. What can I learn from th this individual if at the very least is to do everything that they don't do? <laughs> right. Yes. So, you know, to me as a leader, it's how do I make this individual that is working for me or that I am mentoring be a better individual, a better contributor, a better servant to the people that are eventually going to work for him or her in the future. Uh, so one particular leader uh, that I had early in my career was at American Express. And where one of the things that they taught me is to have a true balance between family and work, uh, where work will be there. Yes, it's very beneficial. It's very uh, instrumental for financial uh, stability. But family is really where long-term stability, long-term uh, uh, um, uh, benefits are going to be provided by you know, and one of the things that he said was very easy. He goes, 
he goes projected when you're 80, 85 years old, or eventually when you pass on, how many people that are you're working with today are going to be at your funeral? It's one of the things that they that uh, that that was very impactful to me, and really helped me put into perspective the work-life balance. That's that's very interesting. Um, I as I work with managers as they work through challenges uh, today, they always talk about they don't feel like they have enough time. They don't have enough time for their teams. They don't have enough time for their families. Um, I. I think you're speaking to that and, the, and the just really kind of validating that that is one of the major problems that, that people don't understand as much as they could. It, it is so true because even nowadays, you know, you, you, you hear some of the, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, news today uh, and where people are, because of this COVID, people are working at home more. So people thought, oh, wow, I'm going to be working at home and I'm going to get to spend more time with their family. And what you're actually seeing is people are actually working harder, longer than if they were in the office. But what they don't have is that mental uh, relaxation of the commute, even though it adds time to the day, but it's a time for them to get geared up for work and to, you know, come down from the work, you know, activities. So what is interesting to me is that this balance is so important, especially now, uh, you know, where everybody's mostly working from home. That's great. Um, I know you worked at Florida State University yes. for a while. <laughs> yeah. I happen to live in Florida now. We're in <laughs> Dallas filming, but uh, I come over here to film this show uh, a couple of times a month. And uh, you talk about early in your career, you had punch cards yes. and rubber bands yes. to keep them all together. <laughs> and uh, you had to renumber them if you ran out of lines while you modified your code. So, I, I, that's fascinating to me that how far we've come since those days. What was that like? There's a lot of gray here under here. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in high school, you know, when I first started my, uh, my exposure into computer science, you know, there were no terminals, uh, you know, or there were no home computers. Uh, it was all just the beginning of it. Uh, and so when you, whenever you wanted to write a program, you, you needed a stack of cards, depending on the size of the program. It could be this big, it could be that big, uh, but a stack of cards. And you needed to keep them in sequence because when you put it into the card reader, to, for the computer to actually compile the program, they needed to be in the proper sequence. Now, if you forgot to, that you needed to do something and you needed to add more cards, depending on where you had to add it, you had to renumber all of the cards. <laughs> so it was not a pleasant thing. Or you bumped into something and the cards just went all over the <laughs> all over the place. Oh, it was a it was it was a lot of fun trying to put them all that's, back together. That's fascinating, and I remember looking at those cards uh, early in my high school career and in my early in my 20s thinking that IBM was the first thing that always come to mind when I would see one of those cards yeah. and I would think there are actually people who can read those things. I would never be able to have a conversation <laughs> with somebody like that, but you boil that down to where that it's understandable the why and why it happened and why it was necessary and everything else. Um, I'll just switch gears a little bit and kind of go back to leadership. Uh, you talk about being a servant leader and uh, yes. having known you and had some conversations with you. I know you. I know that that's the way you you approach everything. And uh, you talk about um, people who have given you much recognition. And you also talk about people who have taken your ideas without recognition. 
you've, you've taken numerous leadership style tests, uh, Myers-Briggs, different things like that. I've taken those as well for different things I've had. And I've always found they were accurate, like the Minnesota, Minnesota multiphasic, uh, the disc. I don't know if you've ever taken yes. that. And I use those to help me uh, uh, work with the, the people who work for me. Did you find those easy to uh, to utilize to apply towards uh, you know helping helping the people yes. uh, that work for you? So it's interesting because those tests are are self reflective, mm-hmm. right? So it it doesn't tell you how to how to how to manage. If you you know I'm a perpetual learner. I love learning about myself and how I can do things better and how I can contribute better. Uh, so when, whenever you take these tests, uh, for me is, this is how I am. This is how I, my, my, uh, my propensity to take an action or a reaction, uh, based on my personality traits. So if I am dealing with an individual that it's not like me, so I am a forever introvert. I am like off the scale introvert. But if I'm dealing with somebody that's an extrovert, I need to adjust my scale internally so that I can communicate more effectively with it, with that individual in order to ensure that they understand the instructions that I'm trying to provide so that I get the expected result that I want them to achieve because I want them to be successful. So I hear you saying that you recognize there are different personality types and rather than just saying well i don't like that personality type or i don't work well with that you can actually use these tests to look within and learn how to work better and lift those people up getting a better result for the organization absolutely correct would you agree with that absolutely correct that's that's uh that's incredible I, i applaud you for that. Well, it's one of the, you know, I've had leaders, as I said, some great leaders, some not so great leaders. uh, And I've always seen that they want to manage individuals. And and most of the time it's based on how they were managed, uh, which was uh, in, 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 in current situations, you know, if you have conversations with leaders, the way that I've had conversations and leaders in the past is really a, 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 you can report them to HR because it's no longer tolerable today. Yes. Uh, but that's how they were brought up in the business world uh, through through that abuse and through and through that harsh leadership. So to me is how can I become a better leader? And it's understanding that I wasn't like them, and clearly they were not like me. But we could not come to a, an understanding on how to communicate. So to me, all these personality tests is really a baseline of how do you communicate with somebody that is not like you. You basically describe what I see you as having a, a collaborative leadership style. But I understand once you were told uh, that that just wasn't a good thing to have because you were the only person in the organization that had a collaborative leadership. That, that is a funny story. So when I was uh, in a, um, at a big financial services company, uh, the entire leadership team of the group that I was in was, took a, uh, a, uh, a personality test. Uh, and everybody in the group was command and control. Mine was collaborative. And I was told that I needed to be more command and control than collaborative. (laughs) I was like, wait, but I'm not command and control. I'd rather work with people than 
tell people what to do. Because well, the, <laughs> the irony of that was that if you had become more command or control, it would have almost been collaborative because then everybody in the organization would have been alive. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's funny. Uh, let's talk about your family a little bit. Yes. I happen to know two of your brothers and your yes. nephews and uh, met your sons. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I have been blessed. I have two uh, beautiful kids, two boys, uh, both in university at the moment. Uh, and, and I have three amazing brothers. So my brothers to me are my trusted advisors, my best friends. I can call on them all the time, rely on them, uh, and, uh, actually brainstorm with them because they're, they all excel, excel in their fields. Uh, just the same way that they can, uh, call on me and we can actually brainstorm and come up with different perspectives to a solution that we're trying to solve for, for them, uh, or for me. And so it's, it's, it's a massive blessing to have that in my life. Uh, and then, you know, and with my nephews, with my niece, uh, also try to provide whatever advice we can as their young men and, and women, uh, starting their careers in the business world. That's um, that's very beautiful explanation. And uh, knowing your family, I know your brothers, I know what they come from a servant's heart also. And I know that you're, how important the family unit is to all of you and especially your mother. And I'm struck and commend you all for yeah. the way you take care of oh, your mother. Thank and you uh, she's a beautiful lady. <laughs> and uh, so uh, that just, that really struck me about your family as I get to know you. Um, Let's talk about solving the problems of today. Yes. So we only have to look to the past to be able to solve the solutions <laughs> to the problems of today. Is that correct? That is not correct. <laughs> <laughs> I so, knew you were going to say that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, so I've been in, in leadership positions in IT and, and business. And one of the things that I've found is today, as I understand more the cloud and organizations wanting to move to the cloud, uh, what they try to do is they try to solve the problems of today uh, with the solutions of yesterday. So if yesterday the idea was, oh, we need to have more data centers or we need to have a particular organizational structure to, to be able to be successful running an IT group, what they are not taking into consideration that today's world is very different. It needs different thinking, it needs different ideas, it needs um, uh, different, uh, different methodologies in order to be successful at making the change because it's all about the change. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, one of the things that is most particular about this is the people. So the workforce, the, the, the constitution of the workforce today it's not the same as when you were like, you know, you mentioned IBM's, uh, you know, the old organizations where everybody had to dress in blue and, uh, and, and had a red, a, tie. a red tie and a very cookie cutter. The, the, the workforce today is, is gamers and it's uh, the, 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 the free lifestyle and the, and the, uh, and, the and, and deliver the work, but on their terms not necessarily on the company's terms. Uh, so people have to adjust 
in order to make sure that what you know that they lead their organization recognizing that there are changes that need to be applied in order to be successful and what a lot of organizations what i have seen is they try to mold the new solutions today with the old solutions of the past and they just don't apply that's uh, very interesting and you just talked about the gamers i'm glad you brought that up yes um We've talked about that before, that the workforce has very different expectations now coming out of college uh, today. I know that uh, a statistic that I saw on a project I worked on once was that the average, uh, the average college graduate now expects to have five different careers, yes. maybe not jobs, but careers, possibly career changes in the first 10 years after college. And uh, you know that I managed a large group of interns at a previous company that I was at as an additional duty. And I found that to be one of the most enjoyable duties. We hear a lot about each generation as they come along, oh, this generation, you know, they don't do this or they don't do that. But I can tell you after managing those young professionals coming out of college, that they are much better prepared than I was. Absolutely. And that they have the solutions of tomorrow. And I found them to be my go-to people, uh, sometimes even more than the people that have been around 30 or 35 years. And that was maybe to the chagrin of a couple of my managers. But yes. uh, uh, you want to speak to that? Or? Yeah. Well, what I find interesting is, you know, so I call this new uh, age group, the video gamers, mm -hmm. uh, the, gener the, the video gamer generation. So these are individuals that, uh, as you play a video game, for those gamers out there, is that you play a video game and you succeed at the level that you're in and then you move on to the next level uh, and then you succeed at that level and you move to the next level. So what happens as you're doing this, th there are several things that are taken into account. One, you are free to try anything you want whenever you want as long as you're meeting or trying to achieve the level. You can fail as many times as you want because you always get a new life and you continue with the game. So. So they are taught failure is okay. Uh, they, they still have to succeed, mm -hmm. but failure is okay. Uh, a lot of organizations today treat failure as a bad thing, and they should be celebrating failures because with every failure, there is a learning opportunity of what not to do. Uh, and if we're not training them and teaching them of what not to do, then how will they ever know and, and grow the organizations into the future? And the, the third thing that I see with these video gamers are they live by their own rules. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is they are free to go anywhere, anywhere. They are free to do anything uh, as long as they're staying within the, comp the, the constructs of the game. Now, for these video gamers, right? So what is the first thing that happens when you go into an organization, right? They give you a laptop, they give you a phone, and they give you an email address, right? And this is your tools to work. Well, most of these individuals have never had an email address. Or if they had an email address was just basically to get a subscription to the to the video gaming world or to the either the PlayStation network or the Microsoft network so that they can get new games and new things and uh, and new rewards for their gaming, right? That's the extent of the of their email. So uh, one of the challenges that organizations have today, as this continues to evolve, right? How do we 
keep enticing and motivating these jo this young individuals into an organization that has been around for 150, 200 years, right? So it's a very, it's a very tricky balance that chief information officers and, and technology officers really have to keep a lookout for in how do we make that transition so that we continue to incentivize them the way that they have they want to be incentivized, not the way the organization says they have to be incentivized, because it will not translate. And they don't always want to be incentivized with pay. No, pay is not necessarily the, uh, it's, the it's answer for them. not even really very high up on the radar for yeah. a lot of them, is it? It's, it's recognition, or at least it was when I was doing it. It was it recognition. recognition. It was time off, family time, quality time. Yes. They're much more balanced than we were when we were growing exactly. up. Exactly, and 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 you and you mentioned preparing, and it makes them more productive. I think I, I agree to be more balanced. I absolutely agree, uh, and you say you, it makes them more prepared, right? So. Uh, you know, so I, I, you know, you mentioned earlier that I have a mathematics degree. So when my son, my oldest son was in high school, I couldn't help him with his homework after 11th grade. It was so complex. Uh, and this is because this is how they're training them today. They're training them to be smart. They're training them in algorithms. They're training them in uh, scientific thinking. They are, you know, these schools are really creating some brilliant, young individuals that we didn't have those opportunities when we were growing up because they didn't know. Now they do. So life evolves. Companies need to evolve as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you that this was a person <laughs> who could take a very technical subject that I never thought I could ever have a conversation with anybody who's lived in the rarefied air of the C-suites like he has and break it down to where I could understand it. I'm convinced that he is the one person who could explain cryptocurrency to me and make me understand it right now. That is just, uh, that is fantastic. Uh, and, and I'd like to keep uh, keep going along that line a little bit. I know we talk about data, and we're going to get to uh, Silver Lining Experts, your venture, yes. and I'm going to ask you a little bit later about some challenges uh, that you face, that you solve, that people face today that you've seen, especially post-COVID in that environment. But um, this, this really struck home with me when you talk about a data warehouse or data lakes. Uh, I worked at a company where we had reams of data. We collected data. We collected data about safety from seven different sources. We called it the seven-legged stool. And uh, But managing that data and knowing what to do with it is a challenge. Yes. And I think you have the solution to that. You, you solve that. You help people with that. Well, that would be the seven-legged bench, I think. <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, you know, to me, so my most of my career has been foundational with data. Uh, so I started in the early days working for American Express, where we looked, we started looking at their credit data, and and the objective was how do we get a data scientist, uh, which was called an analyst back then. So all these terminologies continue mm -hmm. to evolve, right? Uh, how do we get a data scientist to create and train a model? in the fastest way possible. And it's all about the data. So, so the, the criteria here is a lot of organizations have tons of data uh, and it's data at rest. It's just sitting there occupying space, costing money. Uh, a lot of organizations don't know how to mine their data. 
And, and what, a lot of the times what they do is they leave it to IT to say, oh, build me a data warehouse. And the first thing that the IT is going to say, well, what do you want in this data warehouse? And they're going to say everything. Well, that's not a data warehouse. Uh, a data warehouse has to be very targeted, very specific. What are you trying to achieve? Because a data lake can very quickly turn into a data swamp if you don't know what you're doing with it. And, and nobody wants to go to a data swamp uh, because it's just nothing of value is going to come out of swamps. Uh, so, so to me, the, 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 the concept of having a data strategy uh, is what a lot of organizations seem to miss uh, because they all have the data. They all can better their business by mining their own data. Uh, but the business gets a little bit lazy in thinking how can they make how can they make a better business decision based on data, based on analytics, and what are the fields that they need in order to make that decision a good one. Uh, so they leave it to IT and IT will create systems for IT, not necessarily systems for the business, uh, and they miss the boat. And it just becomes an exercise in not getting the right uh, platform for the solutions that the business needs. Okay, uh, that's great. And, and again, moving to the cloud, uh, finding success in the cloud. Yes. Uh, that's one thing at Silver Lining Experts you're helping people to do. And I should say that your business, you're based in London now. Yes, and, I am. And uh, you live in London. So uh, thank you for coming here <laughs> thank to you. Uh, talk to me on a completely different uh, time zone schedule. But uh, you want to talk a little bit about Silver Lining Experts so, and how you do solve those challenges? Absolutely. So at Silver Lining Experts, we, we are focusing on three categories. The first category that we're focusing on is in uh, innovation. So how do we get organizations to think innovatively while they're based on the cloud? Uh, and this is how do you create new products and services for your customers. The second one is how to create data as a tool for the organization. Help organizations devise a data strategy, uh, a data lake. The new term today is lake house a data lake house, uh, where people think, uh, or the way the consultants uh, talk about it is, go, you go into this house and you have everything that you want available at your disposal with the fingertips, uh, and you can do whatever you want. Well, a properly done lake house, yes, you can have that, but it, it, it goes back to what I just said earlier is the strategy needs to be in place uh, of what are you trying to achieve with this information. And then the third one is organizational change management. One of the things that I've learned over the past 40 years in it's how to organizations need to evolve their uh, organizational structures based on the needs of today. Uh, and this is, you know, goes back to some of the early things that we've said is organizations need to transform themselves in order to operate in the new normal, the cloud. Uh, you know, as a, as a chief information officer, uh, the cloud was just beginning to be a thing. 
So I, in, in, and a lot of people were like, it's not secure. It's this, it's the other, it's not accessible. What if it crashes? Where is it? Where is it? Right. It's, they look up, <laughs> where in the clouds is it? Uh, and, and the reality is after being, um, I was almost five years at AWS learning about cloud specifically because I wanted to know from one of the best cloud providers in the world, what is the cloud and what are the benefits of cloud? Uh, and, and, and for that to happen is organizations need to change the way they think in order to operate at speed on the cloud. So Silver Landing Experts, it's, it's basically sitting down with the senior executives, whether it's IT, business, hopefully both in the same table to uh, help understand the needs of the business, translate those needs of the business into a working roadmap so that then it can be implemented so that it can get realize the full benefits of the cloud. Find their silver lining, as I call it. <laughs> so knowing you and knowing that you have worked comfortably in the C-suite with these senior level executives, uh, uh, getting them to understand the need to do this and seeing it as a profit center instead of a cost center. Yes. Uh, I know you've talked about that in the past. Uh, that's a, probably a difficult thing to do because it may be hard to measure, uh, you know, the savings or measure how you save them from a crash, an IT crash that didn't happen. Yes. M most organizations, and I would even say today, see their IT organization as a cost center. They're always taking money out of the IT budget in order to supplement their business budget. And what they fail to recognize is if they do more investments in IT, their business can really outperform any numbers that, they, that they've calculated in the past so that the contribution to the business overall is far superior than what it once was. Uh, in cloud, it makes it a little bit more interesting because cloud, if done properly, can save you money, can save money in the IT budget because you can close down data centers. You can, uh, uh, sometimes you need less people. Sometimes you need more people, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, and, and what it does, if, if you apply it strategically enough to the business, it can be a true profit center for the organization by providing the right solutions at the right time for the business to perform. Uh, the, uh, in, 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 you know, at Silver Lightning Experts, what we try to do is sit with both of them and as you mentioned, me being a chief information officer, a chief technology officer, a chief data officer, I have walked the walk. I have been down that path. I can really help them understand if you do this, this is the outcome because I've lived it. I've been there. Uh, and if you do this, this could be a, a significantly better outcome, but it needs the focus and the attention and the strategy to get there. I I tend to visualize things when they're described to me. So when I hear you talk about that and I hear you talk about migration and a lake house and a data house, uh, I think about mergers, mergers come to mind. Yes. So I envision where maybe a person has a lake house that's a cabin and they've taken it to the full potential they can and they wanna grow it. So they end up merging with someone with a bigger lake house, but now you have to migrate all this data over yes as i assume that migration is a challenge that you uh, are also very skilled at uh, helping leaders with 
Yes, migration to cloud is it requires a very sophisticated skill because uh, organizations what what you do so it's like think about if you're moving houses, right? So now all of a sudden you're in a two bedroom house and you want to live in a ten bedroom house, and by the way you're 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 moving other people from other houses into this ten bedroom house. What is the first thing that you do? It's for me, is you hire an architect to design what this new house is going to look to look like, what the functionality of the house is, how many air conditioners, how many kitchens, how many bathrooms, how many bedrooms, etc. What a lot of companies and how do we move between them and and and, and how to navigate that right? Uh, so what a lot of companies do is they just say, oh no, we're just moving everything to the cloud, and then they realize very quickly that the savings are not there because there's no plan, there's no strategy. A roadmap. And, and, and what end up, ends up happening, or a roadmap, absolutely, what ends up happening is the migration stalls because they're like, oh, no, no, you guys told us that it was going to be cheaper, it's more expensive, and it's your fault. Uh, but that is not necessarily the case. It's because they failed to follow the steps in order to achieve the most successful outcome. And when it stalls, that's when you get people that in mergers continue to do things one way that they've been trained and the other side does the other. Yes. And you're the person to bridge the gap in that. I've, I've known you to do that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we can definitely help bridge the gap. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, this has been a fascinating conversation. And um, I know that uh, you have an email address. If you tell me the email address again, then uh, we can put it up on the bottom of the screen for people who want to get into contact with you. Yes, thank you so much. So it uh, is silverlandingexperts.com. And, uh, and the email where you can reach me is aldo, A-L-D-O, at mancini.net. And I'll Thank give you so much you, for having me. Yes, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming. I'd like to uh, ask you uh, here at the very end as we close out to uh, look at the camera and uh, tell the camera what you would want them to know about silver lining experts that we haven't highlighted or I haven't highlighted uh, and talked about already. So if you uh, so in silver lining experts, if you're looking for a partner to help you with your cloud strategy, with your data strategy, with your organizational change management strategy, just give us a call and we will be very happy to, or send me an email, and we'll be very happy to help you achieve the success that you can find in the cloud and find your true silver lining. Thank you. This has been a fascinating uh, conversation. And uh, as I told you, this is the person who can uh, uh, just boil us down to something that a layman like myself, uh, when it comes to technology, can understand. Uh, I'd like to thank you again for coming. I'd like to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for watching the show. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's called Cornerstone. Uh, again, you have all those, uh, you have his email address. And also, if you need me to put you in touch with him, you can email me at uh, mike at thegrossfacilitator.com. And uh, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you on the next show. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something of value to help with the challenges you face as a leader. Please feel free to share this show with your friends on social media. And don't forget to visit my website, thegrowthfacilitator.com. And while you're there, book a free call with me. We'll see you next time on Cornerstone.